I'm Justin. I'm one of the pastors at Mariner's Church in Irvine. Uh, and let me just tell you a couple things. Thank you guys so much. You guys are, this is a great group already. I just love this. Uh, let me just tell you a couple things right off the bat. Uh, our senior pastor, Kenton, I bring greetings from him. Uh, he loves your senior pastor and he loves this church. And we get to partner up on a lot of cool things. I know you guys do Rooted here. Uh, we have staff that come down and lead worship at our church. Obviously, most of you guys probably know Jillian. Does anyone not know Jillian? Jillian's the best, right? And uh, she works with me and my staff uh, at, uh, at Mariners. And so there's a lot of love for this church and what you guys are doing to reach people in this area. And your pastors love you. And your volunteers get here at 5 a.m. Some people don't know that. That's like mega early to set up church for you. You know this carpet's not always here. They bring it in, they roll it out. I didn't know that. I thought it was always here because it looks so pro. Your volunteers here are great. So make sure you say hello and thank you to someone on the way out before you go. And your pastors love you. So this is a great church. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, let me uh, lean in with a really quick question. Okay, this is a really simple question is going to appear on the screen, uh, and I can't see the screens. There's no screen back there, so I'm going to assume that you can see it when I'm going to see keep talking. So think about this question. A very simple question. Do, has a friend ever commented on your relationship with Jesus? Is it up there? No, it's going to be up there, I swear. He's, he's getting to it. It's right there. We're good. It's not up there? No, it's not? All right, so forget about that one, okay? So that's the, the one slide I forget is the slide that I lead into the whole lesson with, all right? It is not indicative of the whole lesson, so don't worry. So this is a question for you. Has a friend ever commented on your relationship with Jesus? All right, it's very simple stuff. Has a friend ever noticed or said something about your relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm not fit talking in the sense that they already know you're a Christian and you go to church regularly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the friend or the someone, the coworker, the guy at Starbucks, the someone who just looks at you. They don't know anything about you. They look at you. Or maybe it's a friend you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you didn't follow Jesus and later in life or somewhere you started following Jesus. And we know when we follow Jesus, there's things about us that change. So I'm talking about the friend who, like, they connect with you. They haven't seen you in a long time. Or they just remember you from back in the day, kind of like the high school reunion kind of friendships. Like, oh, I haven't seen you in forever. You look so great. And then you know they're lying to you because you know you're a mess. Like, I went back to my reunion. I went back bald. And like, oh, my gosh, you look so great. I'm like, why are you lying? Like, I look terrible. And so, they, but this is like the friend that hasn't seen you in a while. The Starbucks person. The person that just looks at you and says, and if this has ever happened to you, then I'm so excited for you. And this hasn't always happened to me. They look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. Like, there's something different. I notice, I don't know what it is, I can't pinpoint it, but I remember you or I see you all the time and I see a lot of other people and there's something different about you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what that thing is that makes it a little different about you. And it's because you're a follower of Jesus. But they notice that there's something different about you. Now, here's the thing for me, and, and I don't know if this is the way for you. This one is definitely going to be up on the screen. Sometimes I find myself wondering if, see, I've got to read it off my notes because I can't see it. Sometimes I find myself wondering if those around me know I'm a follower of Jesus. I find myself wondering that. I think to myself, and you just think to yourself for a second. You don't have to be critical of yourself, but just think for a second. The people around you in your circle of influences, whether it's people at school or people at your job, the people you just you know, hang out with and see on a regular basis, would they say that they know that you're a follower. They know nothing about you other than your place on the org chart or your order, you know, when you go into the restaurant or the Starbucks, which they know my order, or they just, they know what sports you play. I know there's high school students in the room, or they know what clubs you're a part of. Do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Now, here's the thing that's so hard for me, okay? And I don't know if it's this way for you. I work at a church, obviously, so I have this neighbor, okay? And me and this neighbor are great. He thinks he's a better barbecuer than me, and he's not, all right? So there's that. 
And, but he's just, he's just a great guy. He has a, he's married. He has a kid about the same age as my kid. I have two kids, a two-year-old and a 10-month or 11-month-old. It'll be a, a year very soon. And they're just both very sweet. And he, my next-door neighbor, has a kid named Owen around the same age. And so we hang out. He thinks he's better barbecue. He's not. And his wife's super cool. And we're all just talking. And, they, and at the time, they don't know I'm a pastor, okay? which I like. Okay, I like that. So we're sitting down and having a you know, bottle of wine, relaxing, which, you know, number A, all right, sitting there having a bottle of wine, probably don't expect a pastor to do that, I do. So I'm sitting there, hanging out with them, we're just, you know, having dinner, relaxing, and then, you know, we're like, oh, so what do you do? Like, this, they just moved into the area, so we invited them over, very Christian thing to do, invite people into your house. So we invite them over, they don't know any of these things, that I'm a Christian yet, obviously, and uh, we, we, you know, we don't hide the Bibles, you know, we have many Bibles strewn around the house, of course, you never know when I want to pick it up and start teaching my family something. It's a good husband, good father. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you. So, we're sitting down talking, and I'm like, they're like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I actually work at a church. Oh, really? You work at a church? They lean in, and they look at each other. Well, how, are, how is it that you're married? Aren't, aren't you supposed to, like, not be married? I'm like, no, no, I think you're talking about priests. I think the Catholic, that they can't get married. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And I have all these tattoos. If I didn't have a shirt on, you'd see all these tattoos and stuff. And they look at that, and they're like, well, aren't you, know, aren't you, are you, you're not allowed to get those. I'm like, no, no, it's cool. Like, I'm a pastor. It's totally, I don't worry about that. They're like, so have you ever met the Pope? And I'm like, no, no, back again. Like, I'm not, that's a Catholic, that's a, you know, thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're like, and this, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm literally not making this up for the story. This is a true thing. You talk to my wife. So do you like have to like wear the collar and stuff when you go? I'm like, no, 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 again, you don't. And because so, here's the funny thing. Well, usually when you say to most people like, you know, that you're a Christian or you're a follower of Jesus, or something, like they have this idea in mind of what that looks like. Like there's no, like they have to think of what, like they hear that I'm a pastor. They think, well, this is what a pastor looks like. This is what it is. Now here's the thing that I find to be so interesting, okay? The people I interact with, I want them to know who Jesus is. I want everyone I interact with to know who Jesus is. And I don't necessarily want to be the one to have to quote a Bible verse to them to know who Jesus is. I want them to know who Jesus is because I'm living who Jesus is. But I sometimes find that that is a very difficult thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. Now, here's the deal, and uh, it's going to be up here uh, on the screen. We're going to take a look at this, okay? This is out of the book of Mark, okay? We're going to spend some time, and we're going to look at some other stuff. So the first verse in Mark, this is what it says, Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up. I know it's not a note paper, but you guys have, like, paper and pens and arms and legs. You guys will be just fine. So here's what it says. Verse number 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back. Soon after, uh, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside while he was preaching God's word to them. So imagine like the most packed place ever, okay? Sorry, I'm really thirsty. Does anyone have a bottle of water? I'm mega thirsty. Does anyone have like a bottle? You, you ever want to just run it up here real quick? I'm so sorry. Totally embarrassed. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, lots of, oh, wow. Lots of bottles of water. Okay, great. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Wow. All these people with bottles of water. Great. Yeah, I'll take this one too. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you so much. Great. Whew. Wow. A lot of generous people here with their water. They're pretty okay. There we go. So imagine the most packed scenario you can, right? The most packed place. My wife was just at a concert yesterday. She went to see Garth Brooks, okay? Not, I'm not, I, I don't know who he is. But, uh, but, I remember, but I saw it on my credit card statement, the tickets. And so he must be really good for the, for the tickets that she got. And she went and she had the best time ever. And she said it was at the, 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 the wherever it was the, where the Lakers used to play. And the place was packed. In LA, the place was packed. Now imagine that, but just in a really small house. The whole place is packed. Everybody is there. Everyone hears just by reputation that Jesus is back and they want to go see him. I would want to go visit Jesus if, like, I heard he was back. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to leave. Like, forget the waves, I'm going to go see Jesus. Like, everyone had left to go see him. This is what it says in the next verse, verse number three. 
Four men, this is so important, okay, this is like the crux of everything I'm going to talk about today. Four men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, then they lowered the man on the mat, on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Okay, so here's a funny story. I do youth ministry. I don't do kids ministry, okay? So if you do kids ministry and volunteering kids, I have such a heart for you. I love you, okay? You are so great. So when I was an intern, and I have a bunch of interns, we have a bunch of interns in our church. When I was an intern, I rotated around this church in New York, junior high, high school, and you know, then I did children's ministry too. And they asked me to teach this lesson in children's ministry. And this is the scripture I actually taught from. That's why I remember the story. And I got up there, and the room is full of children, and the volunteers were in back drinking coffee, which wasn't a big deal. And like, I was the main teacher, and when it was kids, I was like in character. So I dressed up. My character was the homeowner, okay? I was the homeowner of this whole story. And I dress up as the homeowner and I have all this rubble on stage. I'm giving this whole lesson and I'm doing my whole bit, you know, being the homeowner in character. And these kids are running around like a couple of squirrels, just, just beaming wall to wall to wall. And I'm, and it's just annoying me. And I'm like, what, 20 years old at the time. And it's annoying me, annoying me, annoying. And I break character and I look at the kids. I say, Hey, stop running around. Does this look easy to you? What I'm doing up here? This is really hard. I put preparation. You guys need to sit down and listen. And then I got back into character and that was my last day in kids ministry and it, for, for good reason. So this scripture is just so insane. Could you imagine being the homeowner? A lot of you probably are homeowners, you renters, and someone digs a hole through your roof because the people, and they want, because they want to have their friends see Jesus. Now, like, it's easy to make the scripture about friendship, and I think it is about friendship. You know, I think it is about, you know, the, you know, so here's some Christian-isms, right? So I'll throw out some tweetable things, okay? Do you have friends who are willing to carry your mat for you when you need it? I can tweet that later as a Christianism, okay? All right, here's another one. Whose mat are you carrying? And who are the three people helping? You know, whatever, tweet that, you know, whatever. So it's easy to make this scripture very insignificant, okay? This is a very significant passage, and it's not all about friendship. All right, these four guys who have their friend who's been paralyzed forever hear that Jesus is in town. They got to take him to see Jesus. They know that Jesus, if anyone can do anything, Jesus can do it. They know that if they just get to him, just get in front of him, Jesus can do something. So they get there and they find it's packed, they can't get in, they dig a hole through the roof to lower their friend to see Jesus. You know, friends carry each other, right? And not just literally, metaphorically. These four friends are bearing the burden for one another. I know you guys have done Rooted here. Part of the Rooted and putting people into Rooted groups, into life groups, is helping bear the burden for one another in community. That these guys would say, I, I care so much for my friend who, by the way, is paralyzed. They're, you know, other than, you know, probably frank conversation, you know, they're not, he's not throwing the football with his buddies. They're, you know, the, that paralyzed buddy is not, like, helping run marathons with him. Like, they're not going to the ocean, going surfing together. They're not going out shooting guns together. Like, the, this guy, like, he, their friendship is built on more than just what they do together. Like, their friendship's built on being there, spending time together. It's built on more significant things. And they're like, we got to take him to see Jesus. You have a friend who's willing to bear that burden for them, for each other, together, to see, meet Jesus, get in front of him. Now, this is what's so insane. This is so crazy. Okay, this is in the next verse. This is what it says. Verse 5, seeing their faith. Okay, if you're not writing anything down, which is totally cool, write that down somewhere and remember this for the rest of your life. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven, but in verse six, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves. Okay, now I want to talk about this for a second, okay? First, seeing their faith. We're not talking about the faith of the paralyzed guy, okay? We're not talking about his faith. 
He is inconsequential in this story. The paralyzed guy, is he, he is a sermon illustration. He is a footnote to this story. Why? Because Jesus made him the footnote to the story. The focus of the story were the friends. The focus of the story was the faith of the friends that Jesus saw. Seeing their faith, the faith of this paralyzed man's friend, seeing their faith, he said something incredible, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's people sitting around watching this, okay, and this is what they're thinking to themselves, okay, and we're going to get into it, you're seeing the next verse, okay, but we've done this. We've done what these guys are doing. We've done this before. These guys who are sitting there watching, they're the religious leaders, they know all this stuff, okay? We've done this. There's no way that could happen. Why is he doing that? No, no, he should do it this way. And, you know, what we tend to do is if we're not the kind of follower of Jesus who is just out there with our faith, and I'm not talking like weird out where they're like the t-shirt with the ripped jeans and like the pray hard and like all those cheesy t-shirts. I'm not talking about cheesy t-shirt Christianity. I'm talking about share your faith, pray for a friend, bear a burden with one another kind of friendship, kind of evangelism. That's, a, that's what I'm talking about. It, it, seeing their faith. And then the religious leaders are like, what? What is he doing? I can't, he shouldn't do it that way. I can't believe that. Now, we've done that. We've looked at the fearlessness of others and said, oh, well, I don't know. That seems kind of risky. Man, starting a Bible club in my school, oh boy, that's risky business. I don't know, people are going to think, what are, you know, judge me or say stuff, and this is risky. I shouldn't do, oh man, starting some kind of a thing in my local business, my, you know, environment of commerce, whatever I do. Like, oh, we can't take, you know, Rooted's great for the church. It doesn't work in the business place until you find a leader in your church who's like, you know what, I, I think Rooted could work in the business place. Let's do it. You know, man, we, can, we should pray for one another is so good at church. Or, or, man, if you have the perfect scenario, right? We all have this idea in our mind. What is the perfect scenario for this to take place? If only, you know, the person came to me at a Starbucks, quietly, of course, and said, hey, can you pray for me? In a very low voice, of course. And then they quietly were willing to walk somewhere private with you so that you could pray for them and not make a scene these guys are digging holes through roofs because of their faith, and Jesus affirmed it. Now, here's what it says in the next verse. This is what it says, okay? Verse number seven. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? We question our hearts, right? Every good intention of evangelism starts this way. You know, Jesus is so great. We love church, right? But that person wouldn't be interested. And, it, and that thought we have of, may I should invite them, ends with, well, they wouldn't be interested. Or, this just isn't the right time. It isn't God's timing. And you make God the scapegoat. How ridiculous is that? It happens all the time. This just isn't the right timing. We just need to wait. Wait till what? Wait till some life-altering thing happens in their lives? Leverage their pain to make it easier for you to invite them to church? How insane is that? How insane is that? And we do that. I've done that. I've said, this isn't the right time. I just need to wait until the open door. And what I'm really saying is, I gotta wait until they're desperate, till they need it. That's not what I'm reading here. But I feel like we've done that. Like, they, they're not interested. 
This isn't the right time. You know, what if the week that I invite them is the week that they have the the multicultural flag dancing week at church and it freaks my friend out? Like the week I invite them, I get up all the courage to invite them and I get them sitting there and that's the week they bring in the international group from wherever'sville and they're prancing around and and it's confusing and it's a great ministry. I'm not dissing Global outreach. Okay? I love global outreach. I'm taking a bunch of students to Uganda. We love doing stuff in Mexico. We have church partners around the world. So I'm not knocking it. What I'm saying is one of the number one reasons, if you Google reasons why people don't bring their friends to church, is because you're nervous that the week you bring them is the week that something weird is going to happen, that you're going to have to explain on the car ride to lunch, and you're in the car. We invite them to lunch after church, and we got to explain that whole thing. Why was he, what, how, do we, how, do we, how do we spin this? And you get all, you know, trying try to figure and then you get down there for lunch and, and you're just like have a terrible excuse. You don't need to make an excuse. Ministry is happening in the church. It's beautiful. It's diverse. It looks different. You know the only weird thing about you know, going to church is when there are empty seats at church. Empty seats don't say yes to Jesus. People in seats say yes to Jesus. People in seats have life change. You know, here's the thing that I just find so wild, okay? We make these excuses for ourselves and we feel bound to them. We feel like we have to be subservient to all the reasons why it won't work instead of looking at the faith that Jesus affirmed in this guy's friends and they made it work. They figured it out. Here's what it says in the next verse, okay? It's easier to say, is it easier to say, this is Jesus talking, is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins, which is a really big deal. We need that. That's a good thing. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. You know, they didn't keep their faith bottled up, these friends. These friends were living it. They were living it out for everyone to see. This is simple stuff. This is practical stuff. Jesus is in town. We got to stop at nothing to get our friend in front of Jesus. Let's go, let's do it. You guys with me? Let's go. We figure it out. Oh, it's crowded. Well, guess we'll wait for next time until there's not a crowd around them, which there always is, by the way. Just figure it out. Just figure it out. This is simple stuff. I'm thirsty. Uh, Does anyone have a bottle of water I could grab? Do you have one? Can I grab that? Thank you. Thank you so much. Dying. Dying. Thank you so much. You're great. Do you go to church here regularly? That's cool. You should volunteer in kids ministry. All right. Kids ministry needs leaders like you, not like me. Um, this, is what, uh, this is the deal. This is simple stuff. This is practical. This is easy stuff, okay? This is so easy. This is just a couple thoughts that I have about evangelism, about reaching people. Okay, everybody was reached by someone somehow. Now, I don't know what your personal story is, but everyone has one. These are, these are three simple things. If you're taking notes, this is a perfect thing to take notes on because this is off the heels. Jesus is giving this beautiful example the faith of this guy's friends and the difference that it can make. And not just forgiving sins, but healing, you know, figuring out the needs that this guy has. Jesus cared a lot more about the heart of this man before he cared about the needs of this man. But yet he met both needs. And I think there's something in there about the faith of the friends that helped deliver that. You know, God's plan, like A, is not like for it to be figured out one day. God's plan A is us to help keep the promises that God made. Like his plan A is to use us to help meet and serve the needs of the people around us. It, it's, there's, there's, no one, there's no reinforcements coming. When the reinforcements come, like, that, that's the end. Now, I know every church has different thoughts on the end times. I'm not going to get into all that. But there is an end where Jesus comes back. That's the reinforcements, and that's the ballgame. 
Until then, it's us. Like, just little us. Working places, going to school, figuring stuff out along the way, it's us. So here's just three really practical things. This is simple stuff, okay? Number one, sharing your faith is not restricted to the words you speak. This is simple, okay? Sharing your faith is not restricted to the words you speak. You know, Gandhi, uh, I don't know the last time Gandhi was quoted in a lesson. Gandhi had this famous quote. I don't remember it word for word. Okay, this is basically what he said. I like Christ. I think Christ is great. But I'm not too sure about his followers. I'm not sure about the Christians. Uh, I don't know if the Christians reflect the teachings of Christ. Now, that's a pretty harsh statement for anyone to make. It's hard. You hear that statement. There, something's happening inside of you right now. You're gripping a little bit, or you're shuffling in your chair a little bit. Like you get a little tense because like, that's a hurtful criticism to say. I like the teachings of Jesus, but the people that live it out, I don't think they're on the same page because this Christ guy sounds great, but sometimes his followers, and I don't know about them. Here's the deal: sharing our faith is not about the things we say. Is it a part of it? Yeah, I'm sure it's a part of it. Absolutely, it's a part of it. But it's about who we are. It's about what we're doing. It's about how we treat people. It's how we, how we talk to people. If the only tool in our arsenal is a track that we've memorized, I don't know people who still do tracks. Like, I used to work at a restaurant, and I had this one guy come in, and he'd leave, like, these tracks that looked like $100 bills. And at first, I got really, I was like, oh, my God, $100 tip. And then I'd take a closer look. I'm like, is that Jesus on this? Like, what the, what is this? And I flip it over. I'm like, oh, gosh. If only he knew I was a Christian, I could have got a real tip. Um, but so, you know, thing is, like, I don't know. Your thing is, like, I got this track, and I've memorized this track. You got a cube. I went to Argentina on a mission trip one time. We were using the cubes to do street evangelism. I love that stuff, okay? If the only tool in your arsenal is memorizing something, some Romans road thing. I'm not knocking those things. I know those things. I've used those things. I'm not knocking those things. But it's also not the only tool in my arsenal. Jesus doesn't teach us to have that as the only tool in our arsenal. You know, there's this verse out of Corinthians. Okay, I love Paul. Paul is like, he's such a stud. All right, Paul does not mess around. Like, they needed a ringer. Like, they, Jesus got up to heaven. He's like, oh, man, we got, you know, got these disciples here, but we need a ringer. And he's like, you know, you should go get Saul. The guy who's killing Christians, yeah, I get that guy. That guy's a self-starter. He knows how to make it happen. It's like, all right. And then he goes to the Damascus Road, changes this guy's life. And now this guy is preaching and teaching, going everywhere. We're going to talk about Paul a little bit. But there's this verse out of, this is an easy verse. You guys know this, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Do not reduce evangelism to merely the words you say. Whatever you do, going to Starbucks, it's how you treat people. It's how you talk to the guy who's getting your mail. You know, it, it, it's about finding those, those little opportunities. It's, it's not just about the words you say. It's about who you are. You know, do you come to church and you're like one way and then you, outside those doors you're another way? Listen, I've been guilty of that, okay? I'll totally own it. I'm, I've been guilty of that. And not like 10 years ago. Like there's certain weeks, well, I'll do this whole thing and then I'll go home and we get a text from someone and they're like, oh, hey, you know, let, let's go out and do it. And I just got done teaching about like, you know, loving your neighbor and, you know, the whole neighborhood thing. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to be alone right now. I don't want to be bothered. You know, let someone else figure it out. And I just outsource what God's kind of put on my heart to do because I'm just too worn. I'm too tired. You get done with church, you go home. All right, get into an argument about something dumb. You know, the, the decorative pillows. Who, who, where are the men who love decorative pillows? Can't get enough of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'm so sure. Uh, when I started dating my, uh, well, she's my wife now. When I started dating her, okay, um, there's a party at her house. 
she had a house in Riverside. We went to her house and having this party, and you know, I, I got dirty at this party. It was I don't know. I'm not going to go into the details why I got dirty. The point is, I got dirty at this party. So, and her parents were there, and, and everything. So, I want to set this up to make very clear, like the snare. So, her parents are there. There's many people at this party. I got dirty at this party, so I needed to take a shower. Okay, so I, there's many people there. It's not just me and her. I want to be very clear on this. So, I went into her room though, and I took a shower in her shower. She was outside with her parents. Who her father carries a gun. There's a very serious thing. Okay, I was not alone with this girl. Okay. So I'm taking a shower in there, and I get done, and I'm looking for a towel, and I'm like, oh, there's a towel, and then like right next to the shower thing, there's this towel thing there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so nice, it's wrapped in twill, all these different colors, and I'm like, I just pulled the twill off of it, get that towel, wrap it around, using it, cleaning everything, leave it on the floor, obviously, we were dating, and she still married me, and she came in, and she's like, did you use a decorative towel? I was like, what's a decorative, we didn't do decorative towels, I'm from New York, we don't do decorative towels in New York, right? we do towels in New York, it's a towel fabric, you dry yourself off, you wash the car, clean the dishes, and then you use it again when it's dry. Once it's dry, it's basically clean. It's magical. All right? You don't got to do all these loads of laundry. That's what I mean. My ma, we believe that in New York, all right? She's blown away by this decorative towel thing, okay? You go home, you have a huge argument about decorative towels or pillows or the bed being... You just go home and you have a dumb argument about something that isn't about what we're doing here, right? We're doing here, you know, to learn, get filled up, be more like Jesus. And we go home and we forget about all that. We start doing dumb stuff, dumb arguments, things that just detract from not only our soul, but the souls of those around us. And, you know, men, you know, I'm, listen, I'm married, I'm a husband, I'm a father, two kids. All right, I fall into that all the time. I get out of church and I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus is the man. I gotta be more like that guy. And I go home and start doing dumb stuff, all right, getting dumb arguments, provoking my kids in dumb ways, like all the stuff Proverbs talks about, Psalms talks about, all the dumb stuff. All right, here's the thing. It's not about the words we speak. It's about who we are. If we forget that, we forget everything. Everything we do, every little interaction we have with the people around us and the people outside of us, and you know, men, just so you know, I'm really hammering men right now. If you think evangelism is for the people outside, take a look at, if you have kids, take a look at kids around you, okay? You are the best evangelist your kids will ever have. That's a big responsibility to put on men. It's a big deal, and grandfathers too. You know what, if I was, you know, I have buddies who have, have kids and they're not believers, but luckily their father-in-law is a believer, and th- that grandfather has just as much spiritual influence in the gifts he buys and how he prays for them and, and provoking the, hey, come stay at the grandparents' house. You know, men, you know, grandparents, you guys are rock stars, so I'm a big fan of that. But this is the deal, okay? This is the deal. You know, you clap for that. So there's a lot of other things you can clap I'm about to say. All right, so here's the thing. This is, uh, this is number two. Before I share number two, I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I went to church for the very first time, I was very young. I was about eight years old. Okay, I grew up Jewish. I know a ton of Hebrew. Okay, I had a yarmulke still at my house puffy paint transformers on the yarmulke. Grew up Jewish. Never went on the, you know, we really only went on the big holidays. We didn't go all the time, but I was in Hebrew school at a young age. I learned a lot of Hebrew, and they just, the, the Jews just know how to drill that stuff in. So I'll, I'll swear I'll never forget this stuff. But like, so I know this, and I impress my wife with it sometimes. You get a wife who's impressed by you knowing Hebrew, you know you found the right girl if you're a pastor. So she's like totally, she's like, do the Hebrew prayer. I'm like, I'll do the Hebrew prayer for you. And it's just like, it's the start of a good night. So the, the point of that, it's not for the high school kids, that's for the adults. So the point of that is, uh, I started going to church when I was eight years old, okay? My mom, she was, my father left. He decided when I was young that, being a dad wasn't for him, so he left. I don't know where he is now. Uh, and it was just me and my mom. Single mom, went back to school, night school. Being a single mom is a tough job. If you're, if you're a wealthy person, I don't know if there's really wealthy people in here, if you're a wealthy person, your job should be finding single moms and making sure their kid goes to camp forever because that's just what we do. Like, we got to take care of single moms. So, 
that's a side thing. That's a side thing. Okay? Here's the real thing, okay? So my mom was single mom. She's, she joins this group, okay? This, sing, this single mom women's work group, whatever thing. She's in this group. There's this woman in this group named Nancy. Nancy's praying for my mom, praying for me, never even met me, knows my mom, praying for my mom to, you know, work up the courage to invite us to church one day. Finally does, about six months into the group, invites us to church. My mom says we're going to church. Wonder why my mom said yes to going to church? Because her friend Nancy, who was her friend before she was beating her over the head with a Bible, okay, and I'm being metaphorical, but you get what I'm saying, before she started, hey, 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 you, do you know what, Jesus, let me quote some verses to you. Before that, she started listening to my mom and praying for my mom silently, trying to meet the needs of my mom in friendship. So she invited us to church, went to church for the very first time. I had to dress up, suit and tie at churches like back in the 90s, the worst, okay? Suit and tie. You can imagine me in a suit and tie, miserable. And I go, Nancy Burns, my Sunday school teacher, okay? She's talking about Jesus. I always say, I'm like, oh boy. What? But then she talks about, starts talking about Jesus as a heavenly father, I'm like, oh, what is Heavenly Father? I don't have a father. My dad left. Who's this Heavenly Father? And tell me more. I'm listening. She's talking about this whole thing, and she does this altar call at the end of Sunday school. If anyone here, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand. By the way, there's six people in this room, very small church. Six people in this room. I'm the only one who, who is new, like, in the last 10 years, probably, who doesn't know who Jesus is. So this whole altar call, like, they, it was an inside job, just so you know, okay? They, they knew I was the only option. They knew I was the only option. And they pray, and I'm sitting there, and I raise my hand, and, and then she totally works me even more, like, hey, does anyone who raised their hand want to share they raise their hand? And, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I raised my hand, and I'm looking around, like, anyone else raise their hand? And, you know, only years later did I figure out the fix was in. Now, I'm a pastor now. Lead my family in the ways that Jesus would hopefully, you know, want me to. I have kids who are going to, I'm going to hopefully grow them up to love the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, parents, you know, you know, raise your kids up to, you know, as you go to sleep and walk along the road, all the things you do, do to the glory of God. Like parents, our job is to teach our kids that, right? So that's my hope. Now, here's the thing that's so crazy, right? That, that who would have known that that would be the story? You know, 32 now minus 8 is a number. Who would have known that number of years would pass and that I would be a pastor? You want to know why? If, you have, if you're writing stuff down, write this down. Your job is to plant seeds. That's your job. You are a farmer for the Lord. That's what your job is, to plant seeds. You know, there's this verse. It's so good. John chapter 12 is what it says. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. All right, so, uh, you know, the, a kernel of wheat, it's growing. It's this, be this beautiful wheat. Imagine how beautiful that is. Maybe you think of yourself as a beautiful swaying thing of wheat. In the land, you know, of God, swaying there, how beautiful that is. Not beautiful, it's ugly. Because Jesus says, unless it dies, this is what it says, unless it dies, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest for new lives. Our goal isn't to grow up and be this beautiful wheat swaying, you know, f- you know flowy dowy, you know, ooh, look at me, Christian. That's not what it is. Our goal is to reproduce to die, give other things the chance to grow. You know, the, that scripture, you know, that scripture, you know, you want to pick up your cross, you know, die to yourself. You know, all this stuff's connected. The Bible's a pretty interwoven book. It's very connected. You know, there's this passage, it's not on the screen, Luke chapter 8, this is so good, right? This is us. Luke chapter 8, it's not on the screen, so don't worry about that. 
This gives these four different ways that seed falls. You know, sometimes it falls and it takes root and it grows. And sometimes it falls on thorns and grows a little, gets choked out. Sometimes it goes and it just doesn't grow. Sometimes it just, it just doesn't even hit the soil. It just falls on the street and it dies. Our job isn't to worry about all the interconnected strategy of each person you encounter. It's not your job. We're farmers. Our job is to plant seeds, to reach out to the person, to find the opportunity to reach out to the person, to bring in the person. And some of them are going to fail. Oh, I failed. I guess I should stop being a Christian. What are you talking about? That's insane. That's insane. 100% effective rate. Who has that? No one has that. 100% no one has that. Jesus knows that no one has that. That's why he has this seed plan for us to be farmers, seeding everything, spreading the good news of Jesus, finding opportunities. Here's the deal. Do not be discouraged. If you have done this before and you're sitting there thinking, Justin, this is so lame, everything you're saying. I've done this. If only you knew my story, you'd know and you'd probably just let me excuse myself to go drink some water or relax or Instagram something. Like, I've done this. I've done the evangelism thing. I've shared about my faith. I've prayed for, I've, done, I've looked for the, I've done all these things and it hasn't worked and so I've given up. It's probably someone else's gift, not mine. Do not be discouraged if the seeds that you are helping plant and throw out and toss out among the circles of influence that you're in, do not be discouraged if some of them don't work out. Don't be discouraged if they don't come to church. Don't worry about it. Don't be discouraged if they go to church for a while and they say, you know what, this isn't for me. Don't worry about it. It's okay. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. The people who are willing to go out there and do the hard work, it's few. Jesus, he's worried about the harvest, man. That's what, his concern is the harvest. We're the workers helping make that happen for him. Do not worry. Don't be discouraged. Satan would love to use a story of discouragement or how it didn't work out to keep you silent. Do not be discouraged. You know, here's the, uh, here's the third thing. Be led by the Holy Spirit. This simple stuff, right? Easy stuff. Be led by the Holy Spirit. This verse here, I'll give you a second to write down, be led by the Holy Spirit, but I'll probably say it a few times. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. All right, verse uh, Luke chapter 12, this is what it says. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you need, what needs to be said. Jesus, uh, the, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. You know what's so cool? Paul. Remember talking about Paul before? Paul's so cool. This guy doesn't keep his faith bottled up. You, stuff bottled up, useless, okay? He doesn't keep his faith bottled up. Paul meets Jesus, goes on the whole deal, starts talking about Jesus a ton, telling everyone about Jesus. It was this one passage, Acts 13. If you, if you like to read the Bible during the week, you should read Acts 13 this week. It's so good. Paul is going to this city. The Holy Spirit, is what it says in verse 4, the Holy Spirit led him to this city. What, the Holy Spirit leads us to things? Yeah, the Holy Spirit leads us. The who, who, who's the Holy Spirit again? Well, he's the third piece of the Trinity. He was God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent as an advocate for us by Jesus when Jesus left. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit led him to this place. 
And they're there, and Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit's doing his thing. Paul's kind of doing his thing. And he actually meets this guy who's teaching all this zonky, weird, crazy stuff, okay? And he, he actually tells him, you know what? The stuff you're teaching is zonky stuff. We're not going to do this no more. Uh, the Lord is, I'm going to use him, and he's gonna, we're going to put judgment on you, and you're going to be blind and the whole thing, okay? Totally nuts. This is in the Bible. And the guy goes blind, and he's on the ground reaching for a hand that, you know, would lead him. You know, the hand that would help him see. A Greek word they use there, all right? The, it's not just a word for hand, like he's looking for someone's hand. The word they use there for hand, it, it's a sign of, of ongoing help and guidance. That this guy who was struck down blind was looking for a hand that would be the hand to help him walk him around the hand of guidance. Listen, we have that. We have the hand of guidance. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us, to support us, to take us in the directions we need to go. That's who we have. And when you're nervous, you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to say. We have the Holy Spirit who has our back, who's helping us find the right places and the right times and the right scenarios. But are we talking to him about it? The Holy Spirit, help me, find, help me see if there's a need that I can meet today. Help me see if there's somewhere. I don't want to keep my faith bottled up. My bottled up faith is useless. I want to be able to share my faith. I want to be able to enjoy my faith and share my faith. Those guys in Mark chapter 2, they were enjoying their faith. They were enjoying it, and they were sharing it with people. The Holy Spirit will help us, will lead us. You know, this is a, this is a thing right here, okay? This is, this is so easy. This is so easy. There's no need for tricks or strategies. At the end of the day, it's not our little tactics that change people. It's the Holy Spirit at work. That's what it is. It's a, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to come, come up with a plan. I'm going to figure this out. No, no, you don't need to figure anything out. Jesus figured it out. We just need to say yes to it. And so for the driver people in the room like me, kind of the, the, the leader, the boss, the visionary, the, well, no, 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 I have a, in the marketplace, like, people look at me for answers, so I would love this lesson, and I'm going to go back to my boardroom, and I'm going to get some other Christians in there, we're going to get the whiteboard markers out, different colors, of course, and we're going to get post-it notes out, and we're going to get a strategic plan together in order to, no, 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 open up God's word. Look at his strategic plan, because he has one. The workers are few to do it. He needs people. So thirsty. Do you want a bottle of water? Do you have a bottle of water? Thank you so much, dude. Gosh, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you got one too? Thank you. Oh, this one's empty though. Okay, but I'll still, I'll keep, I'll keep this part of, I'll keep this part of the collection. See, here's the thing. We think that we can't do this. Maybe you can't. I don't know. I'm not you. I know the Holy Spirit can no, I'm, just, I'm nervous about this. I go into school and I do this thing. I'm nervous about it. Oh, I get that. Great. Holy Spirit can. Jesus can. Imagine if we believed that. Imagine if we bought into that idea. Here, let me ask you this, this question. This is a simple question, okay? Think about your favorite soft drink for a second. Favorite soda. In New York, we call it soda. Okay, think about your favorite soft drink. Okay? Get hot day. You know, you're mowing the lawn like a man, no shirt on, of course, right? right? Sweat from the brow, the whole deal. Your wife or girlfriend or you know whoever, it's like, hey, can I bring you a drink? And think of that fa- that's that your drink, that favorite soft drink that satisfies, right? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah. And she brings it over on a plate, right? Looking good. I'm married, like you know. So she's brought it, looking good, and you're like, oh yeah, that's just gonna be delicious to drink. She brings it over, hands it to you, right? And you just put it down next to you. And you don't even take a sip. It's insane, right? It makes no sense. Like, what what purpose does it serve? sitting there next to us, especially if we need it. You know, we would enjoy it. It would satisfy us. 
Our faith is a satisfying thing when we enjoy it, isn't it? You know, for those of us who are like, man, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm living in my faith. I'm satisfied by my faith. I open up God's word and I read it and it satisfies me, brings joy to me. You know, I pray for other people, that satisfies. I serve in the church, that's satisfying to my faith. I'm satisfied by enjoying my faith. The same way these friends, that when Jesus saw their faith, said, oh my gosh, their faith, seeing their faith, I'm willing to do this for you. Like when we enjoy our faith, it's a satisfying thing. But we know this, right? Things that are satisfying are not meant to be kept for ourselves. The most satisfying things are even more satisfying when we share it with other people. I mean, it, you're keeping a bottle of water, man, if you're thirsty, keeping a bottle of water sealed, you're not enjoying it, serves you no purpose. Offering someone who's thirsty a bottle of water, that's a huge deal too. But yet what we do with our faith is we keep our faith bottled up, What don't we? We keep it bottled up, we don't, sh- you don't enjoy it, because man, if we enjoy it too much, we might have to do something with it. And we don't, we don't share it with other people, because if you share it with other people, you don't know what could happen what could happen? You know, what could happen in our marketplace if we made a deal about, about being open with our faith? Now, I'm not saying you start a Bible study at your business. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what if you were open to the Holy Spirit's prompting of how you could live in and enjoy your faith and share your faith with others? What would it look like at school? High school students. I love high school students. Okay? What would it look like at school? I don't know if it's your school or different school. What would it look like at school? If you made it a priority, not to go start a Bible club, maybe, but I'm not saying you have to, but if you enjoyed your faith, and you made your faith something that other people could enjoy too, you know, what would happen in our marriages if we did that? You know, I don't want to keep my faith bottled up in our marriage. I don't want our only time together to be me trying to get some. I want our time together to be fruitful unto the Lord. Like, I, I have more needs as a, as a follower of Jesus than my physical needs as a man. Like, I want to meet the spiritual needs of my wife. I want to make sure that that is a part of our marriage. I do not want to keep my faith bottled up in our marriage. I don't want to keep my faith bottled up with my kid. My relationship with my kid is not him making the team. My relationship with my kid is making sure he gets a bit of his father's faith, that I share that faith with him. In my relationship with my coworkers is not about what they can do for me to further along what my plan. It's about to lead them well, push them along. Hopefully they get a taste of my faith that it would be encouraging to them that we don't keep our faith bottled up. You know, the band's going to come back up in a second. They're on their way. That was the cue that I was supposed to give to let them know. And I know. All the secrets of the church are just being revealed to you today. Okay? I want you to write this down. It's not already up on the screen. Okay? It's the last thing. Do not... This is so easy. Where is it? There it is. Don't bottle up your faith it's meant to be shared. This is simple stuff, but it's, right, you tell this to a junior high kid, they're going to get it. You can go back to your junior high kid, your, your whatever child, and be like, what did you guys learn today in church? And they'll tell you. They learned something. They're not they're playing dodgeball. Okay? They learned something. You know what's going to be more important, parents? I don't get to talk to parents that often. Now you're going to be able to look at your kid and be like, you know what I learned today? I learned that, that we don't need to bottle up our faith, that it's meant to be shared. You may have a whole conversation about this with them. You know, I don't know what the, what the future is going to look like, I don't know what it's going to look like for neighbors, friends, our own neighborhood, our own household, but here's what I know for sure, okay? Faith that just sits there bottled up, useless 100% of the time. You have to open up your faith. You need to enjoy it. Share it with other people. Let them enjoy it too. Do not let your faith be bottled up. 
I'm so happy I had to be with you guys today. Let me pray for you real quick before we start worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single one of these people who make it a priority to be at church and learn more about you, Jesus. Let today be something edifying to them. Let them walk away with something they heard and they can be like, oh yeah, this week I can do that. Next school year, I can do that. Next meeting, I can do that. Next time at Starbucks, I can do that. I can do something. I can do it. Thank you. Bless this church. Bless the pastors and leadership of this church. This is a great church, Lord. It brings you joy to see your church here. We thank you. We praise your name. Amen.